Good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, I'm sure you're all just super excited for me to teach verses 34 through 35 this morning. Some of you guys weren't paying attention to the scripture reading. That was a joke. Um, no, we'll, we'll tackle that. Uh, that's one of the things we do here. Uh, by the way, I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, welcome to Aletheia Church. Um, parents, if you want to dismiss your kids to Aletheia Jr., the teachers are right over here to my right. Um, We'd love for them to go and enjoy their time for their lesson this morning. Uh, if this is your first time and uh, you want to follow along with us uh, in 1 Corinthians and you want a scripture journal, we have those as a free gift to you. If you just want to raise your hand, uh, we can have somebody hand one of those out to you. Uh, we study books of the Bible here at Aletheia Church, verse by verse, line by line. Just keep your hands up. It's a free gift. No, nothing else attached to it. Uh, we just want you to have that uh, so that you can follow along with us, take notes if you want. And we would just ask that if you come back next week that you would bring that with you. Or if you're a part of a gospel community, which we would highly recommend you get involved with, that you would bring that with you to gospel communities. So um, we're finishing up chapter 14 this morning. There's only two chapters left after this. Um, next week, we're going to go to chapter 16. So we're actually going to skip chapter 15 because we're going to look at chapter 15 on Easter Sunday. And then uh, on Palm Sunday, Pastor Daniel's actually going to preach a special message that morning centered around uh, Palm Sunday, and then we'll come back to chapter 15 on Easter Sunday, and that will be our final week in 1 Corinthians, and then we'll be jumping into the book of James um, after that. So uh, this morning, what we're going to see in our text and what Jesse just read to us uh, is that Paul is wrapping up his discussion on how the church should uh, behave during the corporate worship gathering. Basically, what we're doing right now. You know, when we gather on Sunday mornings to worship God together in spirit and truth, uh, should there be some things guiding our time together? And, and Paul's mentioned a number of different things uh, over the last several weeks as we've been studying this portion of this letter together because the church in Corinth, they had some issues. They, you, you would think that, you know, a people redeemed by God and his grace and were loved by God could figure out how to operate for a couple of hours once a week, but they even struggled with that. And, and here's the deal, guys. Every church I've ever been a part of has also struggled with it. So it's not as if, oh, well, we read about Corinth so that we can think about how much better we are than them. No, we read and God has preserved this letter and his word so that we can continue to apply the principles of what is going on in this letter some almost 2,000 years later to our current scenario and situation. And some of the things that were going on inside of this particular church is that they were elevating certain spiritual gifts above other gifts. And in doing that, they were alienating certain people that were attending church. So could you imagine rolling into Aletheia Church on a Sunday morning? We stop you at the front door and ask you what your spiritual gifts are. And then we have roped off for certain people better seats in the uh, worship center. And if you don't have one of those gifts, we're like, yep, yeah, you got to sit in the back. Sorry. Right? We only like these people. They, they can come to the front. Right? That's kind of what this church was doing. Right? I see some of you guys smiling. It sounds weird. It's because it is. Right? Uh, other things they were doing is they were, they were dishonoring one another and how they were just operating inside of the service, especially husbands and wives. They were struggling with that. And we saw that back during chapter 11. And we're going to look at that a little bit again this morning. And then another thing that they were doing is they were really struggling to love one another well 
as they would gather together. And primarily that was seen through a, a lack of desire or willingness to serve one another. Right? They were making everything about them. And really, if you, if you distill down all of their issues, at least in regards to the corporate worship gathering, what was happening is they were um, taking the corporate worship gathering where we gather together to uh, worship and exalt the name of Jesus, and they were making it about themselves. Really, if you boil it down, that's what they were doing. And Paul's going to bring all of these things that we've looked at over the last several weeks together this morning. He's going to challenge the church in Corinth that when they, do, when they gather, when they get together, and when they have, have these various things corrected inside their church, that they need to correct these things, but they need to do so in an orderly and fitting manner. And this is, a, this is an important thing to consider, especially in light of Paul's point last week, that the point of using our gifts and the point of prophecy and tongues and the, and the various things that he had mentioned, um, that using our gifts in corporate worship are meant to build one another up. Primarily, as we saw last week, to build up our minds and our understanding of God's love for us. You know, one of the things we do when we, when we gather on Sunday mornings, guys, is we have a full week of things that are distractions. Uh, we might be struggling with something. Uh, work may be difficult. Uh, school might be difficult for some of you students. There may be family drama going on or roommate drama or friendship drama. Maybe there's a, there's a health issue creeping up in your life. And as we face these different things, it's easy for us to lose sight of eternity and what God's done for us. And when we gather together on Sunday morning, God uses this time, if it's, if it's done properly, to reorient our hearts and our gaze and our attention to the goodness of God and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Right, to actually right, correct an overemphasis on inward attention and move it outward to liberate us and help us to see God and what he's done for us. And what this does, if it's done properly and orderly, as we'll see this morning, is it will lead us to a greater worship of Jesus, both personally and corporately. Right, and we'll see the church doing the things that it's supposed to do together, but also what it's supposed to do in its community, what it's supposed to do in its state, in its region, and in the entire world. As the gospel goes forward and the good news of Jesus and what he's done is proclaimed to the world around us. And so I want to I start off with just a, a, an example of why what Paul's talking about in these verses is so important. So some of you guys may know, my wife Jackie, she's a teacher. And, and any other teacher is going to immediately recognize what Paul's talking about in, in these verses as being an important principle. right? And that's the importance of, of when there's groups gathered or people gathered together, that there needs to be order in that group if anything's going to get done. Right? Teachers, you guys call this classroom management skills. That's what they describe it as. And so I want you to pause and I want you to think back for a, se a second. Some of you guys are students right now. Some of you guys haven't been students for decades. But just I'll pause and think for a second. Think back to a teacher that you had who was really good. Just pause and think for a second. 
Everybody got that teacher in your mind? Okay, now, and by the way, not just a teacher who was fun or brought candy for you in class or whatever, like, that's low-hanging fruit, right? I want you to think about a teacher who actually taught you something and who was a good teacher, okay? Now, when, when I think about mine, mine was Senora Nelson. She was my high school Spanish teacher, and she was an excellent teacher compared to the previous Spanish instructors that I had had. And I, I was thinking this past week, like, why, why of all the teachers I had in my four years of high school or thinking back to middle school over those three years or maybe even into college, why is she the first teacher who always pops up in my mind when I think of a good teacher? And I, and I, I paused and I was like, well, her classes were extremely organized. She had things that we did every single day in class and so expectations were set for every student that rolled into that classroom. We knew what to expect of her. We knew what to expect of ourselves. And, and, and we came into class knowing what to do. She allowed us to have fun. But in that, it was within the confines of her being able to actually lead the class and allow others to participate. And disruptions and rude behavior were not tolerated in that class. She genuinely cared about us learning Spanish and sought to do all that she could to help us learn as much as possible. And many of us took her class for three or four years in high school because although the class was challenging, we were learning Spanish and it was great. And like, I, like just a couple weeks ago, we were in Colombia. I can function in a Spanish-speaking country based upon Senora Nelson's impact on my life. And I haven't been in high school, I'm getting ready to date myself, for almost 20 years. Right, because of her impact on my life, right, I can function in a country where their language is not my primary language. And here's what I know helped Senora Nelson so much as a teacher was the order that she brought to the classroom. And I know that's what it was. Because whenever we had a substitute teacher, guess what happened? Our class was a hot mess. Like chaos, people not doing anything, no work being done, people acting a fool, the same exact people who were on task, diligent, studious, and respectful when Senora Nelson was there would morph into little demons in her absence. And I may or may not be describing myself as one of those little demon children, right? But the moment she would leave, the order would leave the classroom and those same people who were in task hundreds of days a year learning a language suddenly could not function for 45 minutes because orderly classroom management and structure actually led to a pleasant and edifying classroom experience overall, right? And one of the lies that we believe about culture and the world around us is that if there's barriers or structure or order brought to anything that we're being constricted and that our freedoms are being taken away from us and that like, we're not living life to the fullness uh, of its possibilities because because to have someone else's oppression or rules or whatever it may be placed on you is robbing you of joy and Paul actually says, like, hey, hey, if we as the body of Christ want to gather 
together to worship God, to make much of Jesus, to enjoy one another, to encourage, equip, and empower one another to live as God's people. That order is actually something we need. His entire point, as we're going to see this morning, is that disorderly worship does not build up the church, but that orderly worship will. So look at the text with me, and let's see if we can't kind of bring some of this together as we look at what Paul says, starting in verse 26. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one keep, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Right, so notice, notice how he starts that off. Right? He says, what then, brothers? Right? He, he asks kind of this rhetorical question of the church, and he's, he's causing them to say, like, okay, hey, I'm about to wrap this up. Right? What are the conclusions that we can draw from all of these discussions about gifts, showing honor to one another, showing love to one another, serving one another? What are the conclusions that we can draw about this. And he's going to answer that all the way down in verse 40, right? Look at this. He says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Right? So everything that we've been talking about for about the last two months, right? Paul says that as we land these things and as a church, right? And I, and I want you guys to think about this because one of the things I'll say is like, you guys are here at Aletheia Church. You're, you're spending time here, but you may not be in Gainesville for forever. You may not be at Aletheia Church for forever. What we're talking about this morning should be things that you're learning so that wherever you go next, you can quickly kind of discern and see as you visit churches, hey, where should I be investing my time, using my gifts, serving? Because as especially you students, when you leave here, one of our, our goals and our visions and our dreams for you is that the things you learn and the things that God teaches you in your time at Aletheia Church, that you are a blessing the next place you go. And to be able to do that, you need to be able to discern what kind of church should I be involved with once I leave Gainesville. And Paul is saying, hey, as we land this idea of what the Sunday morning experience is supposed to look like, and this is what I'm going to say, and I'm going to reiterate a number of times throughout this sermon this morning, a lot of the things that people tend to look for in a local church when they visit for the first time on a Sunday morning are not the things that the Bible says we should be looking for. 
And he says, hey, as we're showing honor to one another, as you're looking for a church that is allowing people to serve and use their gifts, as you're looking for a church that is genuinely showing love and that, that is building people up and edifying people and, and is putting primacy on the, the word of God in, in its time together, you should also notice inside of that time together when you visit that that service is decent and in order. Right? That you should see that, that things are being done in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God and loving to one another. And it's done in accordance with what God's word says. That's what it means for it to be done decently and in order. See, the key to gathering as the body of Christ as we seek to worship and do so with our minds, not just our emotions or our heart, as Paul talked about last week. That if we want to love well, if we want to serve well, if we want to use our gifts to edify and show honor, that if we do those things decently and orderly, we'll see far more fruit and joy from our experience if we do it inside of the parameters that God has given us. So Paul's going to give kind of three practical instructions for us in, the, in these verses right here that I want us to see, okay? So here's the first one. Everyone should come to church ready to use their gifts, right? We take that from verse 26, right? Look at what he says. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Right? He's saying, hey, hey, when you show up, you may have a hymn. You may, you may want to sing a song. Right? You may want to worship in, in, in spirit and in truth through music. Others, a lesson. Right? Others, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Right? But the, the, the deeper encouragement, and this is not an exhaustive list, that Paul is giving here to the church at Corinth. But the point, point remains, come ready to use your gifts and build up others. Guys, here's going to be my first moment of kind of maybe gently trying to wake some of you in this room up. Church does not exist for you. You exist as a part of the body of Christ, and God wants you involved. He wants you serving. He wants you using your gifts. And when you come in on Sunday morning, right, one of the ways to get more out of the experience, especially if you think you're not getting a ton out, is to, is to come ready to go. Things you can, like practical things you can do to be ready for that. Maybe read the scripture that we're going to be studying together that week before you arrive. Maybe turn the podcast off on your way here and pray that God would meet you here. When you come in, right, as you make a beeline for the coffee to wake up or whatever it is, that you also look for other people and opportunities to talk to somebody, to meet somebody, and to love on somebody. Right? Look to bring somebody. There's all sorts of things you could do, right, but Paul's point to them, right, is don't come ready to be served, to do whatever you want, to make it about you. No, you, no, you should come ready to make much of God 
to build up his church and worship him together by emptying yourself. And then he's going to give them some specifics on the two gifts that he's talked about most frequently throughout this section. Right? And the first one is this. He tells them to observe the proper order for speaking in tongues. Now, you guys don't have to worry about this because we don't really operate and use this on a Sunday morning at Aletheia Church. And there are some reasons for that. I'm not going to go into them from the stage. But if, you're, if you come from a more charismatic or Pentecostal background and you're like, why isn't that done here? You feel free to come up to me after service and I will be happy to explain to you why we do things the way that we do. But here's just what I'll say. If you're looking for you, the use of those gifts inside of a Sunday gathering, Paul lays out exactly how it should be done right here. And I'll just, I'll just share this. After being a believer for 16 years, very, very rarely have I seen this done properly inside of a, a Sunday gathering. Almost never. That if a church typically operates and allows these gifts to be used and exercised inside of the Sunday corporate worship gathering, very rarely is it done in obedience to what God's word says. But if there is tongues to be used. He says, hey, only two or three should be speaking at any given time. They should be speaking one at a time. They should only be speaking if there is an interpretation with that tongue. And in the absence of such, then they should remain quiet and speak to God themselves. Meaning if you have the gift of tongues, you should be using it silently inside of the church if there's no interpreter. And that there should be an order to when that gift is being used in the service. Now he says the same thing about prophecy, right? right the third point he's going to make is that if we observe proper order for speaking prophetic words, that there should be some order brought to that as well. That only two or three speakers at most. And if someone brings a prophetic word, that what they say should be weighed carefully by other people with that prophetic gifting, right? Let me give you an example of this. When I preach on a Sunday morning, the elders weigh carefully what I teach on. When whoever's leading worship on a Sunday morning gives the call to worship and an encouragement or an exhortation to us as the congregation to prepare our hearts and enter into worship and to make much of Jesus, what they say and what they share with us is weighed by the elders and other people with those gifts inside the church. And that he calls us, that when this happens, that we're called to take turns in order and that we prophesy under control. Now we may be sitting there, it's like, well, why? Why, why does this matter? Why would it matter if I go into a church and, and no one's yelling out of control and there's no, there's like everyone's just not allowed to do what they're, like aren't, shouldn't people be free to just worship God however they want? And Paul actually shares with them that there's an important reason why order and control matter when we're gathered together. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Obviously, as we've studied this letter, letter together, <laughs> Corinth has had a, a number of problems, Amen. Like there's a lot going on in this church, a lot of things. But their corporate worship gatherings had become overly emotional where they were mixing practices from their former pagan worship services. That, that's what was going on here. You had large groups breaking out in chants 
and in tongues. You had people yelling over one another in prophecy. You had people overindulging in food and other practices, um, all while creating inside of their gathering confusion and disorder. Have any of you guys ever gone to a daycare and seen a daycare room and not during nap time? What's that room like? It's a little, it's a little chaotic, amen? Right? Like the teachers, like their job, and like there's some awesome daycare teachers out there, are usually just kind of like trying to keep those kids alive. And usually the more there are, like the harder that is. And so you roll in there, and there's kids just running everywhere. Right? When I come here to pick up my kids in aftercare on, uh, like, during the week sometimes, there, there's, like, eight people, maybe max, watching, like, 50 to 60 kids. And it's kind of like, keep them alive. That's the goal. It's chaotic. Kids are running around, doing things, whatever. Now, imagine walking into that in a place that says, hey, we're going to gather together and worship God today. There'd be no idea what was going on because of the chaos that was ensuing. And Paul says, look, hey, the God that we worship, the creator of the universe is a God of order and peace. And therefore, we should seek to worship him in that manner. That there is an order to creation. There's an order to how God set things in motion. And we follow his pattern as image bearers seeking to worship him. And I said this earlier, but a lot of this stuff that the church of Corinth was bringing in that was creating uh, disorder and chaos in the worship service was connected to the idea that they had made worship about what they wanted to experience rather than worship of God. They had turned their time of gathering together as the saints. And they had made worship about what they wanted to experience rather than worship of God. Hear me when I say this, church. We run the same risk today. Maybe even more so. As a, as a pastor, I see it all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people, and, and, and for you guys that have been around a, a while, you know that I mean this genuinely and sincerely when I say this. If Aletheia Church does not end up being your church home, I am completely okay with that. But I do want you to be a part of the local church. I truly believe that God wants and desires that for you. And if that is our church, yes and amen. We want it to be here. But we want you to be under the authority of godly, biblical men and women who love God and love you, who love God's word, who want to seek to worship him in spirit and truth. And over the years in pastoral ministry, I see a lot of consistent themes. People roll into a church, they're, they're church shopping, hopping, whatever word you want to use for it. And when I ask them why they left their previous church or why they haven't found one yet, you hear the same kind of things over and over again. I didn't feel engaged in worship there. 
I'm not being fed there. There, it, 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 it wasn't what I was looking for when I went there. And, and, and hear me on this. Sometimes these can be legitimate claims. I'm not trying to dismiss everything. Sometimes there are legitimate claims and experiences that can cause somebody to leave a church for a good reason. But often, I find those claims to be cliches that mask the real issue, which is church isn't fitting my personal preferences, needs, or desires. And what we're often looking for when we communicate that kind of thing is I'm looking for the perfect church that meets all my needs, all my desires, all my wants. And here's what I'm going to tell you guys. That church does not exist. It doesn't. It, it is not out there. Because the church is filled with broken people. Who gather under the assumption that they can come into this place and be broken and accepted and loved by God for who they are. Doesn't mean they won't be asked to change. It doesn't mean that God won't change them, right? Don't hear me like, uh, I'm not saying roll in and you can just live however you want and God just accepts you as you are. Like, God accepts you as you are, but he also changes you. That's a theological truth. But if we roll into church assuming that we know exactly what it's supposed to look like, that it's supposed to meet our needs and do what we want, right? what we do is we make church, we make gathering, we make worship about us. And that's not why God calls his people to gather. Look, when you got up this morning, Think about what drove you to get out of bed and come here this morning. There might be all sorts of reasons. But the primary reason that should be driving every one of us is, hey, I get to go with my brothers and sisters to sing to God, to hear his word, and to tell God how much we love him. And to worship him because he's worthy. Right? That should be the primary reason we gather together. And Paul's charge to Corinth as he shares this with them, and to us as well, is to examine ourselves and make sure that we are pursuing God's design for when we gather together, which is order and peace over our own personal preferences. This is why one of the things that like, I'm, I'm really like, just the most excited about, about what God's done in my own heart over the, the last decade and a half is taking me from being overly critical whenever I visit a, a different church to being just able to worship and enjoy him wherever I go. And whether I roll into the church that has a $5 million budget and everyone's hair looks beautiful on stage and they have like a makeup artist and every instrument is worth more than I make in a year and there's a fog machine and the worship experience is crazy and then the pastor comes out and has a beautiful message that's three points, that's exactly 30 minutes and he ties it all together and everyone's crying at the end because God just used them. Whether I visit that church or I visit the little country church where 
The little old lady's been putting on that piano for 60 years and half the keys aren't in tune. Both those places are worshiping Jesus. And one's not better than the other. And that as long as we seek to love and serve and edify one another as we lift up the name of our God in an orderly manner, then we're doing it right. That we're loving our God and seeking to honor him the way that he's asked. And so as we ponder that, right, we get to move into this next really, really fun couple verses that Paul shares here. Right, verses 33 through 35. He says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. All right, here we go. Buckle up. Okay. Yay. You know you have a tough task in front of you when the other pastor that you lead the church with messages you on Monday and says, good luck. By the way, if you would all thank Pastor Daniel for not offering any insight, that's all his text said this past week to me. All right. So I get the fun task of trying to figure out what Paul was trying to say while writing a very specific letter to a very specific church in first century Greece that had a completely set a different set of cultural expectations, gender expectations, and values than we might have here in 2022. But here's, here, here's what I'm, I'm going to attempt to try to understand what Paul was teaching that was specific to the church at Corinth, and then also to apply that to us here today, right? Because I think God preserves his word because there's things for us to draw out of this. But not everything that we read inside of the scriptures is necessarily prescriptive for us today. All right, so here, here's going to be my best attempt. If you don't like it, you can come up and tell me how terrible I am after the service, okay? So quick thoughts. Remember that when we study God's word together, that context is so, so important. Right? If we don't understand something that's being said inside of the context of everything else that is said around it, we will, that is where most theological errors are made. And one of the things that people will tend to do, and I'm not going to name them by names, and I'm not going to you know, hop on my high horse here for a minute and talk about how I've interpreted this correctly and everyone else that does it is wrong. Right? But those that I think struggle with these verses tend to just read these two or three verses and they don't read them in the context of everything that we've been studying over the course of the last several weeks. They just read these three verses and then they say, okay, ladies, don't talk. And I think they're completely missing what Paul's actually saying and what he's actually teaching on here. Okay? So... Let's start with this, right? We're going to kind of move through this step by step and kind of you guys are going to get to see why I landed where I've landed on my interpretation of what Paul's saying here. Okay, go, go back and look at verse 29. Okay, he's just got done talking about prophecy and the order for what that's supposed to look like. And everything that we're seeing this, this morning is this idea of order being established inside of the church. 
And when you look at verse 29, he's talking about the gift of prophecy, and he said there's supposed to be an order to that. And with that, when someone gives a prophetic word or teaches or whatever it may be, right, that what they say to the church is supposed to be what? Weighed carefully. Okay. Now, you got to remember these were smaller churches, and so there would be an opportunity sometimes, right, in these smaller environments for people to push back and ask questions, right? For any of you guys that are in a gospel community, this is kind of what we're doing, right? We're unpacking the Word of God together. We're asking questions. But, like, my group this past week, we, we were talking for hours because people had questions about what we were talking about in regards to the spiritual gifts this past week, right? They were weighing carefully what we were seeing and what we were talking about and asking questions and pushing back on it. Okay, so, at this particular church, right, Paul's saying, weigh carefully when someone speaks a prophetic word to you. Now, I think these couple of verses here where Paul's talking about the wives is he's trying to answer how wives might apply what he's talking about in weighing prophetic words properly. I believe that's what he's trying to do. Now, we need to understand, though, that in light of what he said previously in chapter 11. Go back there with me. I'm going to read two separate verses to you. Because if we don't look at context, Paul's either going to be contradictory or there has to be an explanation as to why he's worded what he's worded here in verses uh, 33 through 35 the way that he has. Okay, so look at verse 5. He says, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, I am not going to go through all that again. I just preached that a couple weeks ago. It is on YouTube. Everyone has access to the internet, I believe. Go back and listen to that sermon if you missed it. Okay, but clearly from that verse, Paul is allowing the opportunity for women to be speaking at the corporate worship gathering. So either he's contradicting himself literally about eight paragraphs later, or he's talking about something very specific when you get to chapter 14. Now go down to verse 13 with me. He says, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God without her head uncovered? Again, not going into the head covering part. But he's clearly, again, allowing women and under, like, just, like there's an assumption that they are speaking in the service, right? So I know what happens, like most of the time people read these couple verses in, in chapter 14 and they'll say, see, you know, Christians are chauvinistic, uh, we've evolved, we don't need this anymore. And they look at these couple verses and they use that as their proof text for saying that Christians are bigots and hate women. And I don't think that's what Paul is trying to communicate at all in chapter 14. He says that in chapter 11 that wives could pray and prophesy that, that when they do so, that they should do so in a way that is honorable to their husband. So here's what I, so why is Paul now saying that women are supposed to remain quiet? Here's what I think he's trying to say in these couple of verses Wives. So if you're not married in here this morning, I don't even think he's talking to you at all right here. Okay? Some of you guys are like, I'm never getting married then. <laughs> Wives, here, here's, here's where I've landed and what I think Paul's trying to say. 
If your husband's giving a prophecy or you have a question about something that he may have said when he was teaching or preaching or giving a prophetic word, Paul's direction or command or encouragement to you is to not publicly question him during that time. Allow someone else to do it. So if I'm up here and I start preaching like the gospel of Joseph Smith or something like that, Pastor Daniel or Pastor Stephen or Pastor Theo are to run up and physically remove me from the stage, not my wife. Stephen's laughing because he's like, I hope Kevin does that. I want that opportunity to do that sometime. Right? Th- this is what he's saying here. Right? And if you have a question as a wife, and your husband's in that scenario, and by the way, a lot of you guys might not even ever be in this scenario. I don't know. But if you are, right, here's what he's saying. Wait until you're at home to do so. Otherwise, you, re- you run the risk of being, bringing shame on your husband. Now, some of you guys are sitting there and saying, like, how, how could that happen? How could that be? Men are weak. I hear so I see some, like, heads nodding up and down, right? Like, if, right, Jackie were to stand up here and be, like, take, trying to rip the mic off my face and be like, I don't, I see, I don't know. I am not easily offended. I am going to be furious in that situation. Now I see some of the husbands like, yeah, right? Because most of the time, right, if I, I consider myself to have pretty thick skin, but the words and things that Jackie says matter a lot to me. Right? People, some of you guys even in this room have said things to me that I don't particularly care for and I wouldn't recommend you saying to somebody else. But I, flo- I roll with it. Like I'm a pastor, God's called me to, 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 to shepherd and lead the flock, to lead the sheep, and sometimes the sheep bite. You guys are laughing. Some of you guys are the ones that bit me. Like, just think for a second. But if this particular sheep right here bites me, it hurts a lot. And Paul's point is, hey, honor and love inside of your marriage is far more important than correcting everybody and pointing out someone's flaws inside of the service. Anyone ever been around that couple where someone's overly critical of the other person when you're hanging out together? Is that couple a lot of fun to be around? No, it's A-W-K-W-A-R-D. Some of you guys are like, what does that spell? Awkward. Spells awkward. Right, Paul's point here is wives, listen up. Right, you have a unique opportunity and role and privilege given to you by God with your spouse. And he's not even telling you that you can't question or ask questions or correct. He's just asking you to do it with some honor and respect and love attached to it. And he's saying, it's better not to speak or say anything than to risk dishonoring your husband in service. And husbands, just so I'm making myself abundantly clear, because I know this is an application to the wives, the same goes for you. Being out in public is not an opportunity to shame your spouse. 
right, that God calls us to love and honor one another. And as we have seen, God desires that there be love and service and peace and honor shown as we worship him together. And that's why he shares this. Make sense? Okay. If you have any questions, come up to me afterwards. Let's, let's finish up these last couple of verses here in chapter 14. He's going to share with us some final thoughts on prophecy and preaching and what this is supposed to look like inside the church, right? Starting in verse 36. He says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and order. All right, so here, here's the practical instruction on prophecy and teaching and preaching. The, the men and women of Corinth were struggling to recognize, and we saw this earlier, like who to follow. Right? And so Paul's point here is that they need to recognize apostolic and biblical authority, meaning that there were certain people that had more authority over sharing the truth of God than others. Now, this does not mean that they're better. This does not mean that when you roll into the church that Pastor Daniel or myself or Pastor Stephen or Pastor Theo are better than you. But what it does mean is if the four of us right, say something, right, it better align with God's word. Right, really, when we boil down what Paul is saying here, he says the word of God is not to be tested, but used as the anchor for anything that is taught and anything that is believed. If someone does not recognize the authority of God's word as being the final arbitrator on what is true, then they are not to be recognized as a prophet, teacher, pastor, you name it. Pretty simple. Right? Meaning if you are looking for a local church, once you leave Gainesville, please find one that cares deeply about this book. That, that uses this as the final arbiter of decisions. Doesn't mean it's the only place where you can get information or learn. But it does mean that when it comes to truth, especially about who God is, this is our guide, not culture. Not philosophy. Not anthropology. Not sociology. Not psychology. Not saying any of those disciplines are bad. Super helpful. I would go so far as to say God created them. But this is the final arbiter of truth on who God is and who we are in light of that. And if we go somewhere and that place does not recognize that, they are not to be recognized is what Paul says. And then he encourages them. Right? He says to us, brothers, 
earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now here's his encouragement to us. He's like, desire all the gifts, all of them. You may not get them, but desire them. And honor those that have gifts that you don't have and allow them to serve you and build you up and equip and encourage you. Don't forbid people from exercising those gifts, but when they do want to use them, do it in order and do it decently. And I would add that that would fall under the authority of the pastors or elders or leaders of that local church because they're the ones that are in charge of ensuring that order. So church, here's what I want us to leave with this morning. Right, and hopefully we'll leave encouraged to see this. When we gather, we gather with a purpose on Sunday mornings. We gather to receive the word of God, to participate in worship of God, to receive the ordinances together like communion or to celebrate baptism. The focus of this time as we gather on Sunday mornings is not on my teaching, not on Josh's leading. It's not on whether you liked the worship songs that were picked or you particularly cared for the sermon that morning. The focus of this time is Jesus. The focus of this time is his work of salvation and exalting God for his goodness and power. Pastor Joe Thorne, a pastor in Chicago, he puts it this way. A proper focus on Jesus means that the whole gathering should work to lead everyone present to see Jesus. This means that every aspect of the gathering, every part of the liturgy should be designed to help us draw near to Christ by faith. And that is exactly what we seek to do here at Aletheia Church week after week. Everything we do on a Sunday morning here is done with intentionality in mind to hopefully cause you and those sitting next to you and those that will come in future weeks to see the beauty and majesty of our God and respond to him in worship. from singing to the call to worship to the reading of scripture to the preaching and teaching of God's word to our time where we respond and reflect on what we heard to communion to more singing and then the sending even at the end of our service all of that is designed intentionally by the pastors and elders of this church to reorient our attention towards Jesus and worship him we are not here to gather and to be served and to be entertained. Guys, there are plenty of entertainment opportunities out there. Sports, Netflix, cable, the internet, video games. The list is endless. Church is not designed for our entertainment. It is designed to remember how good Jesus is and to worship him. And that's why we're here this morning.